If you'll please take your Bibles and turn to Genesis 27, as David read part of it for us this morning. Obviously, it's a longer passages that we're looking at. And so we're going to be looking at this in scenes as if we were looking at uh, a TV show or a movie where we'll see the different scenes that move. And so all of us grasp and understand what it means to be in a no-win situation. So it's things like when an executioner asks how you want to die, whether you want to be poisoned, hung, shot, whichever way that you want to die, but it still ends up that you die. You just get to simply pick the choice. It's a no-win situation. Or we can think about someone who's a vegetarian and given the opportunity to choose between a ham or turkey sandwich. No-win situation. Well, here's where we are in this passage where it's a no-win situation. Every one of the characters comes out looking bad. No one is without sin in this uh, passage. And so the question for, for us is to ask, why did God put it in here in the first place? And it's a warning to all of us. And so we're going to sit here and look at the different um, passages, aspects of the passage, so that we might understand the different scenes that happen. But before we do, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do come before you, and Lord, I ask that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. Because all of us are in this passage. All of us need to hear your confronting love. All of us need to be called back to a right relationship with our Savior. So, Father, may we hear your words, not as condemning words, but as what they're intended to encourage us, to warn us, to direct us to run back to our Savior. And so, Father, you teach us, you change us to look more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. For this we pray in his name. Amen. So scene number one is a secret blessing. Now, it's set up where verses one through four, where Isaac wants to bless Esau. And the reality is is we have to ask the question, who is in control at this moment? Now, we grasp and understand that God is sovereign, and it's actually one of the questions that we have in the shorter catechism. And question 11 asks this, what is God's providence? God's providence is his completely holy, wise, and powerful persevering and preserving and governing every creature and every action. Which means that God does exactly what he wants to do and he uses our personality, he uses our desires, he uses our choices to bring about what he wants. Now this is a good thing because what is happening in this passage is Isaac is opposing God's word. See, Isaac knew the prophecy. He knew that Jacob was going to rule over Esau. And so what Isaac is doing is Isaac is opposing God's word with all of his might. 
He knows God's word and he looks at it and he says, I don't agree with it, so I'm going to do my own thing. Now, not that anybody in this room would ever do such a thing. (laughs) But here's where we find Isaac. He knows God's word and he's going in directly the opposite direction. Now, part of this is because we know because he does something that all men tell their children. Don't tell your mother what we just did. Don't tell your mother what we just got. Now, inevitably, your kids tell on you anyways. But we try to do things in secret. Now, there's only one covenant blessing that a father is able to give to his son. And so what is happening is it should really have been a celebration, a public announcement. I'm going to give my son the blessing from God himself. And it would have been a time for there to be a party. There would have been a time for a public celebration. So why is Isaac calling Esau into his room quietly? Because he knew exactly what he was doing was wrong. And so what happens in the midst of these secrets, he begins to blur the lines of truth. And we see that even in our own lives today. We think that we're more loving than God. We think that we're smarter than God. And so what happens is we begin to compromise the standard of truth. And so let's be all accepting of everyone for everything. Because that's the loving thing to do. That's just the opposite of loving. None of us raises our kids and say, Hey, you do whatever you want to do. Because I'll trust you'll make good choices. All the time. And who cares that you supersede that salad with ice cream, with sprinkles, and hot fudge sauce? That's not going to affect you. So if we as individuals, as humans, begin to understand how to raise our children, how much more the Lord. And so Isaac's affection for Esau begins to blur his understanding of the truth. And so he begins to disobey God. Now, It might be way bigger than just substituting ice cream for a salad. Think about what happened with the Jews during the times of the Nazis. Remember talking about it with Bonhoeffer and he said what was one of the ways that churches could deal with it when the trains of the Jews were going by, going into the prison camps? Sing louder. Just don't deal with it. Compromise. And so here's where we find Isaac. Isaac, this person who's seen the blessings of God, who saw God, listen, this is a man who saw God provide a ram when his father was going to thrust the knife into his heart and kill him. Of all people to know that God is good, that God is in control, that God blesses, it should have been Isaac. But one of the good things about being in the family of God is God allows the exposure of our sins. Our sins will find us out. And so here's Isaac in secret, 
in quiet, talking to his son Esau, and it's found out. He can't keep it quiet. And we think that we can control our sins, but the reality is our sin is controlling us. And so he he has us, he begins to hide, and, and we have to remind ourselves, there's nothing that we can hide from God. And so in his loving grace, God has his sins to be found out. Now this helps us because it helps to magnify the grace of God in our lives. Why? Now listen to me very carefully in the statement. God's grace does not triumph because of us, but in spite of us. Did you get that? God's grace does not triumph because of us, but in spite of us. Which means that he's the one who receives all praise, glory, and honor. And so here's Isaac with Esau in private, thinking he's going to get away with something apart from God. But then there's scene number two. And this is a tainted blessing. So we again have three characters in the midst of these verses, verses 5 through 29. And the first one we have is Rebecca, and she's the ugly beauty. Now, what do I mean by that? We know from Genesis 26 that there was a time where Isaac said that um, Rebecca was his sister so they wouldn't be killed. And it said she was, in vernacular terms, gorgeous. She was a beautiful woman. She was a beautiful woman on the outside, and yet we find in the midst of this moment, she's scheming. And what she's doing, if she had a good marriage, do you not think that Rebecca could have gone into Isaac and confronted him in love and said, honey, what are you doing? You know that God has told you, the same God that has prospered you and given you plenty of land, plenty of wealth, He has promised to us in his word that Jake was was going to rule over Esau. And that's the right thing to do. You know that. Esau's not the right one to, to rule. So, honey, why don't you reconsider? And Isaac, being the godly man that he is, would say, honey, thank you. Thank you for confronting me in love and calling my sin out into the public. So I can therefore put the things right doesn't happen. Rebecca understands that there's favorites and there's schemes. And only that, she begins to have a lack of trust, probably first in her husband. But what's also scary, she has a lack of trust in God's word. She was the one who was given the prophecy. Does she not trust God enough to say, I don't know how he's going to do it. But I'm going to trust that he's going to do it his way. In his timing. With his purposes. No. (laughs) She no longer believes God's going to fulfill his word. So what does she do? She starts to design a poisonous plot. Now, there's a couple things that are going on here. One, I want you to understand that it's not just Jacob that she's thinking about. She's thinking about herself. 
partly. And we know this because Esau has already married two um, Hittite women. And it says at the end of chapter 26 that they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. She hates her daughter-in-laws. So if Esau gets the blessing, guess who gets to run things? Esau and his wives. But if Jacob, her favorite, gets the blessing, she's living the high life. It's good for her. But there's also a part where she begins to scheme in regards to her son. Now, there's a couple of things here where she usurps her husband's authority. She says, I command you, listen to what I'm telling you. And then she also says something, I'm willing to take the curse upon myself. Now, let's think about that. And this leads into Jacob, who at this point doesn't look so smart. Okay, mom. Now, if someone says, you go in there and rob the store, and if they come out and arrest you, I'll go to prison for you. Now, how many of us are going to do that? No one. And we also see where she later on in this passage, she sells out Jacob. Your brother stole your rights. She didn't say, hey, you know what? Don't be mad at Jacob. You should be mad at me. I was the one who came up with the idea. You should be mad at me, Esau. She says, you know what? Your brother was the one who cheated you out of your right. I don't know how that happened. I don't know. So she's an ugly beauty in this passage. But then we get to Jacob. And listen, Jacob is over 40 years old. We know that according to the scripture. He's not like a little kid. He's not 12 years old. Listen, okay, mom. Here's a 40-year-old man at least. If not, some people put him up in the 70s. So he becomes a willing pawn in the scheme. Why? Because he is spiritually weak. He should have said to his mom at that moment, I'm not going to do that, mom. Dad has been blessed by God. I can go and talk to dad, but I'm not going to lie to my father. But he doesn't do that. He finds himself in a place where he, again, goes along with it. He's just going to willingly do this. Now, part of the question for us is, was this just something they learned in the home? Because we understand we say a lot of things. But we know our kids pick up on what we do more than what we say. It's why we have Proverbs chapter 3 written to us. Listen to verses 1 through 8. My son, do not forget my teachings, but let your heart keep my commandments. For a length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. So let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and men. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So Jacob doesn't apply these words to his life. He's someone who finds himself in a place where, and this is very telling about his character, the only thing he's worried about as he goes in to lie to his father is, will I be caught? Will I be caught? And again, his mom assures him, don't worry about it, because if you're caught, it's on me. So Jacob begins to, to go through this charade he puts on skins. He allows his mommy to, to cook for him. He does all these kind of things. But then he goes into his father and he begins by lying to him. Now, I don't know about you, but in my house, I tell my children very, very succinct and very truly. You're going to be punished for what you just did. But if you lie to me. Or if you have lied to me about this, it's going to get far worse. So make no doubt, you're going to be in trouble, but it's going to be a whole lot worse if I found out you lied to me. Because it puts sin upon sin. And he's given, listen, he's given many opportunities in this scene to repent. Dad, you caught me. I put on these extra skins. He's probably changed his voice a little bit, but not enough for for him to to not have Isaac think that it's Jacob and not Esau. He's put on clothes of his brother. But even when he's asked point blank, is this Esau? Yes, I am your firstborn son. So it's bad enough that he lies, but he takes it a step further. He blasphemes God. He mocks God. How do we know that? Because when Isaac questions him, he says, Hey, how'd you go out and catch this animal so quick? How does Jacob respond? The Lord, your God, granted me success. Now, he doesn't say the Lord, my God. He says, hey, you're, you're God, the one, remember, you talk about to us every once in a while? You don't live it out really well, Dad, but you do tell us about this God who blesses you. You told us about how Grandpa was going to kill you and God provided a ram in the thicket. Yeah, I remember all those stories, but God, he's not my God. So the audacity of the son to go in and lie to his father and then to mock God. To mock God. But what does this do for the third character, the senseless father? Now, why do I say he's senseless? Because all of his physical senses fail him. He can't see. He doesn't hear very well to distinguish between his sons. His touch has failed him to know the difference between a hairy arm and then the arm of goat hair. 
He doesn't know in regards to his smell the difference between a meal now of goat as compared to wild game. He smells the the clothes on his son and it doesn't give away Jacob. Gives away Esau. All of his senses fail him. To the place, listen, where he thinks he has a false sense of control. He thinks he's done everything to make sure that the person that is before him is Esau. And yet God takes away even his spiritual sense, it seems, at this moment. Because if you think about this, Isaac was willing to give Esau the blessings of God. And Esau is not a good character. But pay attention. It was God who gives the blessing to Jacob. God. And he gives him a blessing of both material blessing and for being the leader of peoples and nations. But it's a blessing, and if you look at it, it's a blessing from God through Isaac. Now, again, as we're looking at a movie, we have the understanding, especially if you watch like creepy crawly movies or something like that, and you can see like the spiders crawling up to the person, and you're thinking they're starting to put their hand down by the spider, and you're like, don't put your hand down there. And they don't know it, but we know it. Okay, and that's the kind of the situation here. So as um, Jacob is slowly getting up and leaving his father, his brother's coming in. And so there's going to be a clash, right? Because we don't think God's in control. We don't think the spider's going to, ah! Yeah, I scared some of you. I know. We think that the spider's going to get the hand. But the person pulls her hand away just in the nick of time. God's in control of physical as well as spiritual realities. And so as Jacob gets up, here comes in Esau. And what he does is he has a moment where he comes in with his game. He's prepared it. He comes into his father and he says, Father, here I am. Now the father has an awakened time, an aha moment. And we see this where it starts to, where he says, um, then Isaac trembled violently, verse 33, and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it into me? And I ate it before you came and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. See, he has an awakening moment. He's been fighting God's will for so long. He's been trying to do it in secret that now his sin is exposed and he shakes violently. And some commentators think that this was a moment of salvation for Isaac. Where he goes from fighting against God to humbly submitting to God. Because his reaction is, go get your brother Jacob and bring him back because I'm going to cut his little head off. He doesn't do that. He calls sin, sin. He says, your brother has deceitfully come to receive this blessing, but I'm the one who's messed up. 
Because he should have been the one to receive the blessing the whole time. Because God said it. And now, I bow my knees before the Lord in humble submission. God, you do your work and let me be a part of it. And so there's an awakening moment for Isaac because he submits to the will of God. He quits fighting, but he still has a son that's hurt. And it's his son. And a lot of people see um, Esau as a victim in the story. Poor Esau, trying to do the right thing, gets hosed over twice by his brother. Please don't think that Esau was without blame. And usually what happens with victim mentality, we begin to blame other people. And so Esau begins to blame uh, Jacob for all of his woes now. Now again, who sold his birthright? Esau. Who married women of foreign gods? Esau. Who made life bitter for his parents? Esau. Who despised the birthright to become the spiritual leader of the home? Esau did. He's not a good person. He's a worldly man. He only cares about what he gets. And he's only upset when he figures out, oh, you know what? Jacob's going to get twice as much as I get now. Not only that, not only does he get more money than I get when dad goes on, but now he's going to rule over top of me? And he weeps bitterly, not because he's lost his birthright, not because he's not going to become the spiritual leader, but because he lost coin in his pocket. And so what does he do? Dad, what is there for me? Didn't you have a a, a blessing for me? And what does Isaac give him? He can't give him the covenant blessing. There's only one. So he gives him a blessing. And I want you to look in the passage. There is no mention of God in the blessing that goes to Esau. Not one. God is not a part of the blessing for Esau. It's simply a blessing from Isaac to his son. And it's not a great one. Look at it. You're going to be away from the fatness of the earth, so your dwelling should bleed. You're not going to be around money. <laughs> and oh, by the way, you're going to have to work to get the, the, the drink that you're going to have. And you're going to live by the sword. And the thing that you so hated, you're going to serve your brother. But one day, one day, you're going to break the yoke. That's the blessing he receives. So how does Esau respond? He puts on sack and askless and repentance and he bows down. He says, oh, what a wretched man and I. No, he says, I'm going to kill him. Take a message. He says, I'm going to kill him. And he plots revenge on his own brother. And this isn't just in the motion. It's not just in the moment where this happens. He doesn't run out of the room and grabs Jacob and brings him back in and kills him in the heat of the moment. He's taking time. He's plotting 
against his brother. But again, sins find us out. And the sin is told to the mother. Now again, the mother is not without sin here. She's a fearful mother. She's scared because the plot is revealed. And what does she say? Your brother who took away your blessing. Now let me tell you, son, your brother's upset with you. Because you stole his blessing. Now why does he go, Mom, you're the one who told me to steal the blessing. Jacob, come on. Your brother's really upset with what you've done. Now, what did Rebecca think was going to happen? Did she think that both the kids were going to be like, thanks mom, thanks for doing everything you did for us. Because we know you love us and you care for us. And so the first time she goes back and speaks to her husband. Don't let him marry a woman like Esau did from this area. Send him away. Now again, she thinks she's being wise. She thinks she's saving her son. She thinks she's saving him. But for us who know the rest of the story, she'll never again see Jacob. Never again. She thinks she sent him away to her her brother for just a little while. Just go. Your brother's going to quit hating you. He doesn't doesn't really want to kill you. I mean, maybe he does right now, but in a couple days, it'll wear off. And I'll call you back. And you come back home, and you'll be in charge, and I'll love life. But we know that Jacob leaves for over 20 years because of this. Now, how do we apply it? What's the good news? Where is the grace and the mercy? We have a loving Savior. See, we have someone who became the curse for us. He was hated. He was betrayed. Sound familiar? And he was cursed by God on our behalf. And so he takes everything that should keep us from the promises and the blessings of God. But he doesn't just take it away. He gives to us his blessing. His blessing. And the blessing is is that he stood in the gap on our behalf. He pays a payment. He gives the covenant price. Remember, what is the price of the covenant in the Old Testament? Blood. Remember, this is where the pieces are cut in half and the blood drains to the middle and both people go through it. And they say, if I break my part of the covenant, this is what should happen to me. I should be killed. And God goes through and he says, I'm going to keep my half of the promise. And at least Abraham said, I'm not so dumb. I can't do this. But Jesus said, I can And so Jesus, this is why it's a big deal for him to shed his blood for us. Because he pays the covenant price on our behalf. And he says it is finished. It is fulfilled. 
But he doesn't just stop there. Listen, he gives to us what these two guys have been fighting about. He gives to us his inheritance. Now there's one thing about Jesus. He never gave up his birthright. So he gets his double portion. But he gives to us the right to be called the sons and daughter of the king. So let me finish with Psalm 106. And this is a psalm I'd like for you to go back to again and again and again and again. Because what it does is it recounts the history where Israel... Jacob, who becomes Israel, where Israel, the nation, continually falls into sin, falls into sin. And listen to verse 15, and then I'll finish at the end of it. It said, but he gave them what they asked. And I want you to understand, when God gives us what we are asking for, we are in a bad place. We don't want God to give us over to ourselves. Because we choose poorly. What we need is what is at the end of the chapter. Verse 48, 47 and 48. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. So blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. God never forgets or fails. He's always true to his promises. And so may we respond like the people during this day that we would say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we again, are so thankful that you tell us true stories about real people with real issues and real problems. Because they represent us and how quickly, it doesn't matter how much you've given to us, we still doubt. It doesn't matter that you've shown yourself to be faithful in the past, we still question the future. It doesn't matter how much we grasp and understand the love of Christ, we We doubt that you do love us. And so, Father, thank you for giving us your word. May we never just push it aside, but, Lord, may we take it, read it, and apply it to our hearts. And then, Lord, let us understand whether we're a messed-up Jacob in need of the grace and mercy of of God. And we'll see that. Or Lord, that we're Esau. And we're just remorseful because we didn't get what we want. So Father, those that are here this morning that don't know you, that have found this time to be hard and boring, Father, awaken their eyes to see Jesus Christ clear, holy, in his majesty before them. Knowing that as we already prayed earlier, there's no Jew or Greek, there's no men or women, it's just saved and unsaved. 
And so, Father, we ask that you would, again, change our lives and transform us into the being and the likeness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then, Lord, let us tell everyone who has ears to hear the good news of the gospel so that they might, too, come with us to say amen. Praise the Lord. For this we do pray in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen.